Welcome to week 10 of the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And we have a big get today. Who do we got, John? We got Steve Bornstein. Andrew, we talk about this later on in the pod. The uh, Mount Rushmore of sports business executives. You have, of course, Rune Arledge, Dick Ebersol, George Bodenheimer. Steve Bornstein is right on there. Former president of ESPN, former president of ABC. Uh, he got fired from ABC, went over to the NFL, ran media over there. He's now with Genius Sports, which is a data and tech company. And uh, I, I just thought that was a, a fantastic conversation that we had with him. We did. He touched on a bunch of things, some stories he's never told before. And he also chimed in on if ESPN should and will they go the mothership. I'm talking about direct to consumer, one of our big discussions on the pod. Bornstein, we probably should listen to Bornstein, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we're going to have our on the way ups and on the way downs. Also, we'll have topics. We're going to talk Manning Cast, Media Rights, Big Ten, MLS, Darren Ravel, Sports Radio, Jake Tapper. We'll also have our calls of the week every week. So let's start with who's on the way up. Who's up? Who's down? John? On the way up, I have Chris Ripley of Sinclair. Chris Ripley? Wait one second. Chris Ripley from Sinclair. He's been all the way down. He's like a champion all the way down. Or I think they got to you. Yeah, their PR got to me. Absolutely. Look, I know it's been a rough year for Sinclair's RSN. No, wait, hold on a second. It... Did he really get to you? No, they didn't get to me. Okay, I, all right, I... good. Let's make that clear. All right, you're, you're above the board. Look, very quietly last week, Ripley and Sinclair did a deal with the NHL, a multi-year deal, where they're going to be able to stream the games of the teams that they have, have deals with. This is, a, this is a big deal in terms of a, a, a first step toward what Sinclair really wants, which is to be able to go direct to consumer with all their RSNs. I'm not ready to say that the momentum has shifted at all on this, Andrew, but it was a, a very small, a teeny, teeny small step toward getting something to happen, and I just thought we should recognize that. Right, and that's in the local markets, I presume, since ESPN has that out-of-market for the streaming rates? Yeah, exactly. It's just with the local markets with the teams that they have deals with uh, for, for the Bally Sports RSNs. Gotcha. So if you have the... And it's, just, and it's just with hockey. There's still a big deal that's out there with the NBA, with MLB. Uh, they don't look uh, like they want to cut any favors to Sinclair right now. But, uh, you know, th th this was something that was unexpected and pretty good. So who's your up, Andrew? All right, for me, on the way up, Tiki Barber. What a comeback for Tiki Barber. He came out... Uh, when he retired from the Giants in 2006, he was, you know, the next big thing. He's supposed to be Michael Strahan, what Michael Strahan has become. That's what Tiki Barber was. He was on the Today Show. He was on NBC Sunday night uh, pregame show. And then it all went uh, the wrong direction. He had a very publicized affair on his wife, who was pregnant at the time. Uh, he was basically a pariah. Now he's come back. Uh, he's rebuilt his sports media career. He's doing games on CBS. The other day he was on with Kevin Harlan, with Trent Green out. Uh, he does games a lot of weeks, uh, NFL games on CBS. And now in New York on WFAN, he's going to be middays with Brandon Tierney. So uh, for Tiki Barber, he's going to be a big voice in this town. They have Boomer Sison and Greg Giannotti in the mornings, and he's going to follow that. And so in New York, Tiki Barber is going to make news when he says anything about the Giants. It's going to be a big deal. Because I know you say it's only local radio dismissively. We're going to talk about radio a little bit later. <laughs> the <laughs> but biggest market there is, yeah. It's WFAN in New York. So, Andrew, buy, sell, or hold on Tiki and Tiki's future in broadcasting. I'm, I'm still at a hold, I think. Uh, I'll say buy at this point. I'll say buy at this point. Because I think, I think uh, that FAN, it, that's a big deal. And that should last... It could last a long time, but he's going to get at least a few years and he's going to be, his name's only going to get bigger uh, with that forum of FAN because regardless of people talking about podcasts, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but radio is still a big thing in New York. Uh, the ratings are a big thing and, and having a show on WFAN is a big deal. So, all right, who do you have on the way down? On the way down, I have Gary Zinkel. He's NBC's top Olympic executive. Look, man, the diplomatic boycott it really has no bearing on whether NBC is going to be profitable, they are, or whether people are going to actually watch the Olympics uh, this, this winter. 
which they will if the US, uh, if the US actually wins some games. But the diplomatic boycott underscores all of the problems that NBC is running into with these Olympics. I mean, think back to 2008. That's when the Summer Olympics were in Beijing and what NBC came out with just what was a celebration of the entire culture. They sort of opened up Beijing, opened up China, and all of their programming was based around that. Well, with this diplomatic boycott now, they can't do that. The mere mention of the word Beijing, in some cases, it just puts NBC into this political morass. And I believe that US consumers, because of this diplomatic boycott, are not gonna want to see NBC pussyfoot around these, uh, these issues. I think that they're gonna want to, want to see them go and actually uh, you know, address them, which is something that NBC has not been able to do, which is something NBC has not done historically. Yeah, I don't see them doing that. They just don't. That's not what they do on the Olympics. All right, February is going to be a big month for NBC. They have the Olympics and the Super Bowl. So all eyes will be on the Peacock Network and Peacock, uh, which struggled during the Summer Olympics in terms of being able to find events. That will be uh, a lot of viewing and a lot of talk around NBC then. All right, so Andrew, who do you have is down? I have a Manning Cat Zoom. Now, look, let's be clear. I like the Manning Nobody cast. Nobody says anything bad about the Manning cast. Uh, here I am. I always like to go counter. No, look, the Manning cast is great. And even la this last one on Monday was great. I liked having only three guests as opposed to four, especially in that first quarter, setting the scene, getting into the game. Uh, and Joe Buck was excellent. Uh, Keep Tlaib was great. Uh, David Letterman, that's where the problem was, okay? Letterman couldn't get on. Uh, because of you know, a bad connection, and then they had a commercial. And I just think, yes, I understand what the Mannings are trying to do to make it not feel like a real broadcast or a little more casual. But I do think when you have a guy like Letterman on, you want to make sure you get him on and that connection is good. And especially when they have these funny people like John Stewart or Letterman um, who are going to crack jokes, and you kind of want to just give them the ball and let them take the stage. When you're interrupting them all the time, and again, it's not on purpose, it's just that the Zoom is slow. Uh, it just doesn't sound good. So I think that they have to work on that. And I would change that. They're taking a few weeks off. They'll be back for Steelers, Browns in you know, early January and then the, for the playoff game. Uh, but uh, that's something I would work on. I'd get rid of the uh, the Zoom. For, maybe for some you could do it. You know, with Joe Buck, who knows what he's doing on there. Tlaib, it was fine. But Letterman, you know, they missed opportunity there when you get a guy like David Letterman on. All right, well, let, you know, let's get right into the topics. Topic one, I have to say, I generally agree with you. I, I tuned in for Letterman. I tuned in because it was a good game primarily, but I tuned in for Letterman and he didn't come on and he didn't come on and you gotta make sure that that works. I mean, that's, that's basic. I will say part of the charm of the Manning cast is that they talk into the commercials and it doesn't appear that they listen to the producers. Uh, I, I think, it, you know, at the end of the game, uh, they didn't know what was going on with the, the clock rundown and, and, and a timeout that was called that, that nobody had. And that's fine. I'm fe I feel like I'm watching at a bar with them or at a house with them. And, and that's how we watch it. And I, I, at one point, he talked to, I, I think it was Letterman, where he said, oh, it's, a, it's just a punt. Go ahead and talk over that. We, we don't need to uh, t talk about what's happening right now. And I love that. I think that's the whole attraction of, of what, what it is. If you put them in a really slick, multi-million dollar set, uh, it, it's going to lose a lot of the attraction to me. Yeah, so I'm not really, so I'm not saying that. You know, I'm not saying you got to make it all slick. I just think get a truck out to Letterman's house and... Uh, make sure you have that connection so it's a little bit smoother so you're not hearing you know, Peyton uh, talk over David Letterman. And I just think the quality of those appearances will be good. I think you can make an argument you don't really need guests, maybe only one guest, because I just think it's you're watching the game. And I, personally, I find the guests sort of distracting, some of them. Uh, some of them work, uh, but... Um, if I'm into the game, like if the Steelers are still in and I'm a Steeler fan, Steelers Browns, I'll probably be on the main broadcast. And that brings me to the main broadcast. So, so I was flipping back and forth on Monday. Again, the main broadcast, the, the thing they got to work on, if it's going to ever come together, is it too much of, um, one guy's talking, another guy's talking, another guy's talking, right. With Steve Levy, Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick, instead of a conversation, which again, 
in their defense, they only had one year last year, pandemic. They weren't allowed to be with each other. Now it's uh, they're a trio for a second year. Um, but they got some decisions to make of what they're going to do. And um, I, I believe uh, Riddick and Greasy's contracts could be coming up, uh, which is something to watch for. Um, and so I'm not 100% positive about that, but I think so. Uh, and so what will they do there? Uh, and then... Look, I've said, and I, I continue to say, Al Michaels, 90, 92% to Amazon with Fred Goodelli. That's uh, a package deal. However, nothing's signed yet. Um, and so if there's one place where Al could maybe still go, now he's going to be, I think he's 77, is Disney return to Monday Night Football, finish off that way, still big games, their schedule is going to improve. If Bob Iger was still running Disney, I would be writing this every day. Now, he's not involved. <laughs> Bob Chapek doesn't seem to want to spend as much money, may not maybe saying we're already spending all this on the Mannings. So that's just something to watch uh, with that Monday night booth. Well, this is big news to me. You've had for the longest time 92% to Amazon. Is it still 92% to Amazon? I still 92. Look, 92 is not 100. So uh, you, when you don't say 100, it's not 100. Um, well, I, I always assumed that the 8% was staying at NBC. Is it 8% at ESPN or is it 4 No, and four? no, no, because what's going to happen? No, no. If he, goes, if he goes and does the Amazon Thursday night, he'll still do some NBC. He'll do, they have two playoff games. He'll do one of those. I think you could see him doing a few NBC games during the year. So it'll still be, it's not like it'll be Al Michaels leaves NBC. He'll still be with NBC, but also, but Amazon will be the main job for him if that comes to fruition. Uh, but I do think it, it, it matters who his analyst is. Uh, he, he, he'd probably want Collinsworth, uh, Aikman, I do think right now I'd say is the leading candidate, but that one's still kind of, there's some iffy parts with that. Drew Brees is sitting there. If Brees was coming out this year. I think he'd be more of a hot commodity. Does, you know, uh, Al want to work with Brees. I'm not positive about that. So again, I still think if I, if, you, if I had to make a bet right now, I'd go Amazon. I think that's most likely because I don't know if ESPN, ABC is going to do the, you know, the move to Al Michael. I, I, I've gotten some sense that maybe not, especially you no know, Iger, um, you know, because it's, he's 77, their Super Bowl still years away. It doesn't really solve their issue in terms of is this the crew for their Super Bowl? So I'm not sure, but I just, I'm just putting that out there as a possibility. Still Amazon 90%, 92%. You want me to go down to 89%? Like the meter? I don't know. Is it going to the 80s? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. One of those uh, political meters. Um, <laughs> so I'll go 89%. But I still, I still think Amazon, I'm just saying that there are some things with Monday Night Football that's where that's the one major opening that you, you don't know what's going to happen exactly for next year. All right, so let's get inside baseball for a quick second. Like right. You mentioned Iger. If Iger were still around, he would get uh, he would get Al Michaels. Does that mean JPEX making this decision? Jimmy Pitaro making this decision? Burke? A decision like this you know, goes up to Disney, especially these days where Disney is kind of like ESPN's like as puppeteers a little bit. Um, and they're... Uh, you know, Disney is calling a lot of the shots uh, at ESPN. But so a big decision like that, yeah, goes up the food chain. Ultimately, it's a Pitaro decision. Um, but then if a Bob Iger, you know, the boss of all bosses tells you, look, go get, we're getting Al, then, you know, a guy like Pitaro or whomever is going to say, okay, yeah. I mean, it's Al Michaels. It's not like you're getting someone who can't do the job. You're getting one of the, maybe the best ever. But Iger and Al Michaels have a relationship for many years. You could imagine if he was still there, let's return, let's go out together. Um, but yeah, I Iger's don't get the sense that JPEG is going to be involved in, in, in that at all. So it, it would have to be Jimmy and uh, Pitaro and his, and his lieutenants, in my opinion. I, I agree. So we'll see. That's why I only have it still 89, 90% for Al to Amazon. Just, just put a little bit out there for you. All right. Now let's go topic two. Media rights. All right. I got an A and a B here. We got Big Ten. We got MLS. You put this on the rundown. So I'm going to start with you. Tell me, what are you thinking about the Big Ten uh, media rights? Big Ten. Look at the numbers that Ohio State Michigan did for, for Fox. Fox is crowing about its big noon strategy. The, the noon window on Saturday is the most viewed window of the regular college football season. And that's Fox's strategy of putting the biggest games there. It just so happens those biggest games are all in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is coming into this media rights negotiation with a, in, in such a position of strength. They have big brands. They have big ratings. 
They still have another uh, two years, I believe, that are, that's left on it, but I expect them to start the negotiations coming this year. And I expect Fox, which uh, is a, owns a little bit more than half of the Big Ten network, to be very aggressive to try to get the whole thing. I expect ESPN to be very aggressive to keep it. I expect CBS, which is losing uh, the SEC in that late, window, late Saturday afternoon window, I expect them to be very aggressive to try to get it. I expect Warner Media to be very, look how aggressive Warner Media was in, in, uh, for the Premier League. Uh, I, I expect all of the regular uh, TV networks, aside from NBC, I don't see them, I, I think they've kind of punted on college, um, uh, so to speak, other than the, the Notre Dame deal that they have. Um, but I, I think that there's gonna be a lot, I know there's gonna be a lot of uh, interest in it and that's gonna make the rights fee just uh, go to stratospheric levels. Yeah, they don't stop. Sports is just it's driving everything. And you're right, those numbers are very impressive. You think Fox has that relationship, but CBS is going to have a big hole in its schedule in the afternoons. Uh, and then obviously ESPN is is ESPN. Uh, and we've discussed uh, Warner Media slash Discovery and, and the money that they have. All right, let's talk MLS. What are you thinking there? Uh, I think MLS is, is going to do all right, actually. It, it's going to be hard because it, they're coming out with a different package than they used to. So when people say that they're going to double or triple their, what they're getting from media, they are, but they have all of the uh, local rights uh, tied in with this. They have uh, out of right package going in with it. ESPN w wants it. I know that Warner Media has been talking about getting it. Um, NBC, it could fit in potentially with what they've been doing with, with the Premier League. Fox uh, currently holds it. Fox is going to talk to them. We've both heard, you and I both, that uh, Fox is not uh, overly interested in, in keeping this one. They're more into the national team games. But the, again, soccer and soccer rights are, are bubbling up. And the, you know, everybody talks about the sports rights bubble. I've been writing about it for 20 years. It's not going to burst in this next go around. All right. I'm a soccer guy more than you for sure. I don't really see it with MLS. I, I get it that the number is going to be big because of what you just said. First of all, I have a quick question before I make my point. So if I'm in New York and NYCFC right now, their local non-national games are on the Yes Network. Are those games now, those are up for sale that one entity could have those games. So if I wanted to watch a regular season game that's not national, it would be on, in the theory, ESPN Plus as opposed to Yes? In theory, they're still negotiating all that. But, uh, but Don Garber, the commissioner, was, was very smart in terms of making sure that all the team's local rights deals with the RSNs, they all ended. So now he's in the market with well, you know, what's a really good package. I guess, but nobody watches those games. That's the problem. And you're... They can't run away from the viewership. You're so right. But people still, uh, the, the, the networks still like that programming. They still right. think so... that it's something that can grow. So I have my little piece of paper. I was doing, I was like writing stuff down when you're talking the first time. All right. So on your little list, I got ESPN. I'm going to put a check mark, but I don't, they're not going to go crazy for it. They'll have a number and they'll stay there. It's not going to be like you said about the big 10. Everyone's going nuts. I think CBS kick the tires, have a number already have a lot of soccer. Warner media wild card. You seem to think that they might go in for it. Uh, maybe NBC, no chance. Fox, little to no chance, maybe a little sliver of a package if that's possible, where you're putting some games on national TV, but their ratings really aren't there. And this isn't like what the deal they would have done with Champions League, it's, you know, putting on Champions League big games. Uh, MLS, again, I love soccer. I love the MLS in a stadium or experience. They don't have big games. Like, I mean, they don't. It, they, the NYCFC is going to be in the championship on Saturday. And it's a relatively big deal, but nobody's really talking about it. Now, granted, they're not getting the coverage, but it's just they, the, the game, again, they, they've grown the league. They've done a good job with that. But as a television sport, there's so many better soccer options. I mean, before we recorded this pod, I had three TVs going with Champions League as I was working. And so I can watch that. I don't have to wait to watch MLS. So that's a major issue for, uh, for soccer in, until they – figure out a way like we talked on previous podcasts uh to get the biggest names in their prime in america 
Yeah, it, it feels almost like uh, baseball deals from a decade ago because it's, it's, it's not about the biggest games. It's about a tonnage of games, and there's a ton of games. And all of these networks that you mentioned, including NBC, I don't say I, I, I give them a little bit better chance than you, although I don't think they're going to get them. No chance. But it's all about Zero. seeding. Well, that's, another that's another dinner. That's another dinner. Oh, NBC no, 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 they're it. not getting it. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. I guess all right, I well, you just said, you just put them in. All right. You, well, they have a screening it. service that, that where this could, that this could uh, work well. I guess, possibly. but their big, their big thing, we both, I think, heard this to the Premier League was under soccer, Premier League, that's what we got. Nothing else. Yeah. I don't think they're going against that strategy and they just spent $8 trillion, billion, $2.76 billion. I give NBC the same odds that you give Al Michaels going to ESPN. Let's put it that Fair way. Fair enough. Eh, all right, all right, all right. Let's move to topic three. Darren Ravel. Wait, Darren Ravel gets his own topic on our pod? Come on, man. Darren Ravel. I, I wrote about this the other day in my newsletter on Post Plus. Makes he just signed a new contract with the Action Network, a uh, million dollars per year. He sold some stock in Body Armor. Gave me a great quote about how, like, it's not really journalistic to have stock in something you cover, but he said he doesn't cover the sports drinks anymore, uh, which is so rebellion. <laughs> what a rebellion comment. Uh, and he still owns, he owns his own podcast rights. Uh, and he also owns, what was his other thing? He, oh, he's got a deal with eBay, which I don't know how much that's for. Here's the point. Look, we could, I think a lot of people who do this get like jealous about this, that, and the other. I don't get jealous of people. You know what? Here's the thing about Darren Ravel. You can get on him and he is polarizing and he does it. He does what you guys kind of do at the sports business journal, but, but kind of like if it was like a cart, if you guys did like cartoons, that's what, <laughs> sorry, Darren, but you know, he does it in like a cartoonish way. You guys are more serious inside, but look, it works for him. He went to ESPN originally. He made a beat that didn't exist in that form and in that and in, in at that level with that kind of thing he has two million followers on twitter i give the guy a lot of credit you could get on him uh and then the other thing he told me he's going to start the nerd network uh that was his yeah i gotta ask about that what is the nerd i feel like both of us should be on a nerd network for goodness sakes we would be well not not when you hear what his criteria was it's like to get the smartest person in each category so i think that would eliminate uh, uh, okay yeah, maybe, maybe you'd get it but uh but yeah we could be nerds i'll, I'll give you that we'll get but steve bornstein on that yeah, yeah, exactly. The Nerd Network, his idea was to hire the best person and the smartest person in each category, like every category, politics, sports, uh, and go down uh, one by one, um, which in theory is a good idea. But in practice, I don't know. It's really hard to hire all those people. Uh, it costs a lot of money. Do they want to work for Darren Ravel and the Nerd Network? Uh, so it didn't seem totally practical. He did talk to investors. So I don't know. Listen, Ravel's interesting. I, I, I will tell you, he's interesting. And he, somebody pointed this out to me, big time personality I was talking to the other day, not the, I'm not really saying the person's name, but they said to me, you know, he, Ravel was kind of, when you look at media people, he was one of the first, if not the first to kind of figure out branding, even though it's, it's kind of annoying, right? But everyone sort of brands themselves now. Uh, and he did it before social media. He started that. Uh, really doing that. So again, love him, hate him. He is a part of the conversation. He's polarizing. He has, I think, the thickest skin given the, uh, what I see on Twitter, the vitriol coming out about him. He, uh, I, do you know, to cover sports business at ESPN, where they have tentacles in just about every part of sports business, that's very, very difficult. And he, he established a pretty good niche over there. He had his own sports business show. Uh, it flopped, but he had it on CNBC. You know, he does, he, he's been out there. He works hard. He hustles. Uh, he approaches the uh, uh, reporting and the business different than, than, differently than you and I do. Uh, but uh, I, I have nothing bad to say about Darren. Hey, well, you just say he had a flop, but besides that, you have nothing bad to say about him. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, you didn't have to say flop. I mean, you did say flop. You're like, I had nothing bad to say about except, you know, he did have a, well, a flop. He kept talking. He kept talking. He had a million uh, Twitter followers, and he, he got like 10,000 uh, people tuning into the show. And, like, he's hard. Bad. He's hard. We're trying to get, we, we appreciate everyone <laughs> listening to this. All right. Anyway, all right. Well, good for Darren Ravel. All right. Let's move into this is a good transition topic for sports radio. So, what Darren Ravel is in is the attention business, and that's what sports radio is as well. It's basically a way to sell advertising, and you want to get attention. My question to you is this, and it's a big general question, and you know it's a big deal here in New York, where uh, ESPN New York 
I've, I've talked about this. They're probably going to be, uh, there's going to be a business relationship with uh, uh, Craig Karmazin's company, Good Karma, which has ownership or partnership in Chicago with ESPN. Um, and where local radio is going in a podcast world, I just want to see kind of do you where, where do you see sports radio with podcasts and all that? Do you think that it has a long shelf life or we're talking about, you know, what's about to be taken over? I have some thoughts, but what, what do you think, John? You know, New York sports radio is different than any other market in the in the country. And the, the, the uh, monthly ratings books that come out get headlines and then and then the, the radio hosts talk about them. And there's something that there's something to the immediacy of that that a podcast doesn't doesn't quite get. I, we're doing this podcast and it's going to turn around and finally be published, you know, at least 12 hours a, a, after after we finish, sometimes more. Um, I my, my personal belief is I, it, so I can talk about the D.C. market, you know, morning drive. We have, the, you know, the sports junkies. They're a they're a local show. One six point seven. We have uh, Kevin Sheehan, another local show on AM 980. And the, 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 we they've tried to bring in national shows, but it's, it's sort of the immediacy and the local nature that even in a uh, sports radio market like D.C., which is doesn't hold a candle to New York, honestly, um, it's uh, you know it, that still matters. And I think radio, local radio, still survives because it has something that games have. It's live. What you're just talking about now are you know, places like Spotify and others, uh, Twitter, which was it Square? What is their thing that they have where you can you know Twitter Spaces? Spaces. That's right. Spaces. Um, the, I refuse to do a Twitter space. I'm not no, doing that. It. Eh, whatever. They asked you to do it tomorrow, but the um, it'd be a flop. You're, wait, you're doing so, one, really? No, 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 no. You would if they asked you. You said you refused oh, yeah. to do it unless they had Abe Matcor, head of Sports Business Journal, called you up. You'd be like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, of course, yeah. Then exactly. <laughs> he's a I don't big think shot. Abe knows what Twitter spaces are, though. So I think exactly. we're good. he's a big shot until they ask. All right, listen. <laughs> but my point is that live, there is something to live, okay? And in New York, the difference between New York and other markets is we have. Uh, nine major teams, maybe 10, you know, let me count NYCFC because I love soccer. All right. We have 10 know, major. The, the Jets, the Jets are a major team. Whatever. All right. With, we're All right they are an NFL team, but you're right. Good point. <laughs> but they're starting to talk about, but the thing about it is, so we have a lot of topics and it's just different. If you're in Boston, right. Everyone's a Red Sox fan, a Patriot fan. You know what you're talking about here. There's a lot of choices. You talk about Mets, you talk about Yankees, um, but there's always something going on. And so that's what, where to me, where the rubber hits the road and where shows, you know, we have Michael K show in, in New York in the afternoons. We have Carton and Roberts, Craig Carton and Evan Roberts, where you really make your differences when something happens and you can have a strong opinion and you want to know what they want to hear. It's harder to do now in a digital world or there's podcasts and Twitter and everyone can have an opinion to make yourself stick out. So it's really about the relationship and do you want to hang out with those people? The same thing we're trying to do. I mean, yes, you're listening to this, I presume, in large part because you like sports media, but now 10 shows in, hopefully you like that we have maybe a rapport or whatever, you have an opinion on that. So so that that's my take on sports radio um, and uh it's it you're right though it has it does have a life of its own here in new york all right we move to topic five cnn's jake tapper makes it on the jake topic tapper. list john what how do you did got? that happen <laughs> look uh over the weekend uh, jake tapper he had an editorial on air on cnn where he bashed the ioc he bashed the nba he bashed hollywood corporations he bashed basically everybody who's been silent about the welfare of, tennis, of the tennis star Peng Shui, uh, who uh, spoke, spoke out against, against the Chinese government and hasn't been heard from since. Disney, in particular, they have not made, there, there was a Simpsons episode uh, that, that referenced uh, Tiananmen Square. Uh, that episode is not available on Disney Plus in Hong Kong, apparently, and that's where Jake Tapper goes right here. That Simpsons episode in Hong Kong, in Hong Kong disappeared like Peng Shui, disappeared like citizen journalist Zhang Zhan, whom the Chinese government has locked up for telling the truth about COVID-19, disappeared like the consciences of the millionaires and billionaires in Hollywood and the NBA and the IOC and Wall Street are all so eager for Chinese cash. They are pretending none of this is happening. There is no amount of money that can buy enough soap 
to wash that blood off their hands. So Andrew, I'm pulling this out, not because of the politics of it. I, I just thought that th it was a really good editorial by Jake Tapper, and I was thinking, who in sports media has the gravitas to come out with an editorial like that that goes viral and potentially creates some change or not? I don't, I don't know if this will create any change. And I, have, I, I came down, I thought about a, a lot of people. I came down with the Inside the NBA guys, you know, Charles Barkley, Shaq. I, I think, uh, you know, they certainly have it. I thought about uh, a friend of the show, Scott Van Pelt, who we can't say anything bad about. Um, but, you know, he is the most well-known sports center anchor. Uh, he occasionally uh, has an editorial to, to lead off his show. I think that he's in a position to where he can do something like that. I think there are other people that are in the positions, like I think of Mike Tirico, you know, the, the studio host mm -hmm. in, uh, over at NBC, but NBC has the Beijing games coming up. I, I can't imagine Mike Tirico doing that, and he's made a Zero whole career. Chance. Yeah, he's made a whole career of not, not wading in, into a geopolitical uh, conflict like that. Who do you think, uh, who's out there for you? Yeah, you know, I'd probably go another non-sports person. is John Oliver from HBO, who could kind of chime in on something like that. Uh, but yeah, it's a different world. Um, and most people who are kind of aligned with corporations that they probably wouldn't go this far out because you get into a bunch of tie-ups. If you're at ESPN and you have a, you know, Disney uh, there, you mentioned, he, you know, Tapper in that um, monologue mentioned LeBron James. Again, not that they, you can't say things at ESPN. It's just that when you get in, they don't want to get into that political game um, and you know, China is like, we're not going to get into the deep, uh, you know, politics of this whole thing because, you know, it's not our expertise in any way, but it, it gets complicated um, when you, when you do that. And especially, you know, when people like LeBron, they speak out on, on a lot of issues. So people then ask, well, you're doing business in China. Um, so why aren't you speaking out on that? So uh, yeah, it's a pretty good, it, that, that Tapper commentary that was, was, was excellent and, and very interesting. Uh, and yeah. And, and hats off to Tapper too, because Warner Media certainly has uh, their tentacles over in China, and he still he went on air and 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 made that editorial. So hats off to you, Jake. Yeah, he won't have to hear. You know, it's his bosses who probably have to deal with the fallout of it all. But uh, you don't think the bosses? It doesn't all come down at the New York Post. It all comes down at SBJ. Come on, man. Yeah, probably right. But uh, the <laughs> the uh, yeah. Bottom line is, um, it, it's good that they support him to to allow him to say that because that's uh, you could see sometimes uh, some self censorship. Uh, in that type of situation. Yeah, Andrew, we have the big get. And for me, this is the biggest get. I know we've had Jimmy Pitaro and we've had Scott Van Pelt and we've had Shaq, who, you know, big get. Uh, we've had Bob Casas. But now we have Steve Bornstein, who is the person that uh, he launched ESPN2, oversaw the wildest growth at ESPN when he was there, hopped over to the NFL knew exactly how much ESPN could afford to pay for the NFL rights, and then ended up you know, just having just a stellar career at the NFL. Uh, moved, and you went on to video games, now you're in a, 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 a data company. Uh, Steve, thank you for, for joining the pod. It's fun to be here. You feel like the big get? I don't think so. <laughs> Scott Van Pelt to me would be a bigger get than me. Roger Bennett as well. We Roger Bennett. Yeah, yeah, Bob Costas is a megastar. Pod so. rule. You can't say anything bad about and Scott Jimmy Van Pelt. And Jimmy Pitaro's doing a great job. So I don't know. To put in that company is fine. Thank you. Oh, you're not going to be this boring through the whole pod. <laughs> I'll try not to be. <laughs> okay. If you could have a do-over, what would it be? I would have never have blown uh, the NASCAR Daytona race. I had an opportunity to get that race, and I, and I couldn't pull the trigger. That was my biggest, biggest mistake at ESPN. You did bring in the NFL, um, and what was that like? What was that negotiation like? How did you think you were going to get it? Did you almost not get it? What it was a now? difficult negotiation because we were competing against our distributors. Mm. It was, you know, at the time, Turner wasn't particularly playing uh, significantly in the sports space. USA had uh, basically ceded in the first place to ESPN. So it was ESPN was the only entity that was paying big rights for sports rights at the time. And our competitor turned out to be a consortium of cable operators led by a guy named John C., who may or may not still be with us, but he worked for John Malone, who was the biggest cable distributor at the time. And they were bidding against us. And it was a pretty gnarly 
experience because the way the deal worked, if we were successful in getting the rights, we were basically going to turn around and charge those same cable mm. operators a fee to cover the rights fee. And when you're competing against them, it was a pretty, uh, it was pretty frightening. And at the end of the day, they came to us at the 11th hour, it's a story I've never told, and they offered us a deal where they would actually buy the rights to the football games and ESPN could distribute them, could produce them, uh, make the production of them, put them on ESPN service, but they would own the rights. Mm. And I was willing to do that deal, but thankfully my ownership at the time, which was smarter than me, a guy named Tom Murphy and Dan Burke, who, owned, who ran Cap Cities, which owned ESPN, said, no, there's no way you're going to do that. You're going to have to buy the rights yourself. And so we went back in there, turned down that deal at the 11th hour, outbid our distributors, and then turned around and sold it to them. And is the NFL, is that the biggest thing? When you look at where ESPN is now, was that the biggest Without deal? Without question. Yeah. It, was, they, it was when we knew we made it. I'll, I'll never forget. It was a preseason game. It was, it was uh, Chicago Bears at the Miami, Miami Dolphins. It was down in Miami. And it was like you knew ESPN had arrived. Uh, internally, we weren't making money. We were losing money at the mm -hmm. time. But you could tell you knew where the hockey stick was going and the whole curve was about, was about to work. So the NFL cemented ESPN's. Um, preeminence. The dominance of ESPN was further uh, happened when we were able to get the full season and we were able to take our, our subscription rate from you know increasing it instead of you know five to ten percent we were able to increase it 20% a year and that got us you know that that's what made the moat even bigger around ESPN so it's all related to it's NFL a, so football. ESPN's um, uh, it got big on the backs of the NFL, essentially, which which is similar to like Fox Sports, you know, when it, it came in and it immediately got the NFL. Yeah, clearly, and this is similar to Directv. I mean, you can you can uh, you can attribute a lot of success to entities that play in the sport associating themselves with premier properties. NFL in the United States is clearly head above anybody else. Uh, similar to the EPL outside of the United States, is clearly superior to anybody else, and those rights associations can can make meaningful asset growth and you see it in direct tv you see it in espn you see it in fox fox claims it made its network mm. spin that forward to today how do you see the landscape uh, you, you you were at the nfl for how long now a dozen years a dozen years at the nfl doing the rights deals how do you see the landscape right now well, I think they're doing a great job. I mean, $110 billion. You know, the recent down. renewals tells you the quality of the event, the fact that, you know, they've done many things, but the, the, the confluence of fragmentation of content happening everywhere else and the steady growth of sport as an attractive property has enabled the, the, the NFL to become even a more giant sequoia among the, on, in the forest. Uh, some of it's their own doing, but some of it is the fact that, you know, primetime entertainment on network television is, is, a, is, is irrelevant today. I couldn't tell you, I mean, this is, I ran ABC for many years. I couldn't tell you how many new shows they have, what they are, what's successful, what isn't, because it's irrelevant to the consumer until, you know, later on in its development cycle. And the football, and all sport, but football being a clear leader, uh, has that distinct advantage. So the confluence of it being steady and growing, it and everything else fragmenting only exacerbates its, its, the delta of its, of its success. Can you take us back Dominance. inside? Now, when you were the head negotiator for the NFL in the previous rights, you know, when you were at, when you were in charge, when NBC got back in with Dick Ebersol to get Sunday night, uh, you kind of moved Monday night as the premier primetime spot to Sunday. How close did ABC slash ESPN over Disney as the parent company come to taking both Sunday and Monday and blocking out NBC and we'd have a whole different landscape right now? Well, first of all, I have to correct you. I was never the head negotiator. Right. You're not an employee of the National Football <laughs> League if you don't defer to the commissioner and the, and the 32, you're not there anymore. You and the 32 owners who were right. the head well, did negotiators. You have Wasn't that a problem? So, did you well, make too much money so, for that? So did when I, I was there, it would be, the, right, late, great, it would be the late great Pat Boland as a chairman and Roger Goodell and Paul Tagliabue and Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones were the chief right, negotiator. 
I would you lose your pension if you don't say that? I, 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 <laughs> my pension, I believe, is secure <laughs> thanks right. to the 110 billion dollar right, renewal that they have recently uh, uh, entered into. All right, what did these guys tell but you about I was the negotiations? A, I was a strategist, so okay. I'll, I'll give you that. All and right. I think, and I believe that I was the architect of moving Saturday, of moving the Sunday night which would had typically been a cable game to Monday and moving the Monday night game to, to Sunday. And the, th the notion when I first got there was that, you know, Monday night football was challenged because it is an extraordinarily difficult uh, uh, um, schedule to make in April of the preceding years to know what's going to be um, uh, uh, relevant and important football games in November and December. And so the initial thinking when I got there was that they were going to syndicate those games on Monday night and they would move inventory off of off of Sunday and put two games on Monday and you had you know better chance, a 50-50 mm. chance of getting a more compelling game. My notion was why not do what college football did, which was basically just time shift it. And it was e much easier to time shift from Sunday from either a 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock window to an 8 o'clock window than it was for Monday. So it became pretty self-evident to me that if you wanted to put your premier product on, it made more sense to do flexible scheduling on Sunday night. And that's how we came up with the idea of keep the regionals the same, come up with the ability to move games on, under certain ground rules, uh, to Sunday night and keep Monday became the cable package, which was locked in Sunday, you know, games that you figured out in, in, in the preceding game. So that's, that was my contribution. Now, but could ESPN and ABC, could they have kept that? that would have made oh, absolutely. Much, yeah. ABC was a bit challenged because they had, they had just recently resurrected their Sunday night schedule. Mm -hmm. You probably don't remember this. Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives. And they had another particularly successful show after whose name I'm escaping right now. But they had this one-two punch. And it was really difficult for them um, to, uh, to, um, to accommodate that schedule. And so that was kind of a strike against them. But they were the incumbent. And, and the NFL back then and the NFL today respects that. And so they had a, a, every opportunity to renew the packages. Uh, uh, they just uh, weren't. They they got there, but they got there too late for the price. And at the end of the day, this was better for the scheduling for football. It really enabled uh, the NFL to dominate uh, primetime television. Yep. I mean, the number one show uh, in America is Sunday Night Football. It never was football prior to the scheduling change. And now that has to do with what we were talking about earlier, the influence of several factors, mm -hmm. one of which was that everything else went to crap. Yeah. And so, you know, you stand taller, but it's also the fact that we're putting, the NFL puts their best inventory or some of their best inventory almost every night, every Sunday on Sunday night, and that's pretty strong. So you were at ABC, you were running ABC, and you left ABC to go to the NFL. Yeah, I got fired, let's be careful. Uh, I got fired. Why? Right. Wait, why did you get fired? Well, because, you know, Desperate Housewives came desperately one year too late. I mean, you know, <laughs> the NBC was, uh, ABC was in third place, and that's gotcha. ultimately what. And then you, you got your revenge, I think. But anyways. Yeah. Well, I, I, don't, I would never call it revenge, <laughs> but I do believe that I enhanced uh, ESPN, which was my true love, true. And, 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 I, and, and I made the NFL have a stronger television presence, which was my job. Well, when you got to the NFL, you knew to the penny how much ESPN could afford to pay or Disney could afford to pay for that. When you were at ABC, did you feel that the, the rights were undervalued? Did you feel like you were getting a deal? Well, it, the, you weren't getting a deal because you still, you, it, the whole issue of, of network television and sport is retransmission consent. And at that time, they were getting retransmission consent, but they were getting it in, in, in non-direct form. So at ES, ABC, for example, we launched you know, ESPN2 on the back of retransmission consent. So you needed to do some sort of internal calculation to apply the value of ESPN2 to the rights that you were paying uh, for sports and other content on ABC. And the same was true with CBS. Well, CBS is not true, but the same was true of NBC. They launched the MSNBC on the back of retransmission consent. Fox launched the Fox Network, Fox News Network, and FX, 
FX on the back of retransmission consent. So they were getting value in a different way. Then, you know, thankfully to Chase Carey, who's the guy that changed it, when he was running Fox, he demanded not, you know, in-kind consideration for retransmission consent from cable distributors, but he, he demanded cash. And that was a significant uh, change of which guys like Les Moonves at CBS and everybody else at every other network rode the coattails of Fox demanding cash. And so then it's a lot easier uh, allocation process for you to tell me what football's worth to a network entity because now they have the advertising revenue and they have the actual cash component they're getting for retransmission consent. And then it's an argument. Do they attribute 80% of the value or 70% of the value to of retransmission consent to their sports content? That, that to me is just an exercise in allocation. But well, your whole history. Does any of that make sense? Are we going too deep or too not? Too no, deep? we're deep. Okay. This is what people want. This they okay. want. They want deep. Okay. Right? So, I mean, well, that's, also that's we're expecting the, deep. The introduction John gave. I mean, we want deep. Yeah. All right. He gave you. He gave you quite the introduction. Well, he compared me to. Bob Costas, come it's on. Pretty good. It's not every day I put on a tie, Steve. Yeah, why do you have a tie? Are you kidding me? You're a founder. The, the, the reason ESPN is as big as it is, for goodness sakes. Mm, you're nice to say that. <laughs> Let's put your consultant hat on. If you were running ESPN right now, and, or you know Disney, what would, be, what would you be doing with ESPN? Oh, as a consultant, which I've been doing for a few years, which I found is really incredible because you can say whatever you want, and then they ignore you and do what they want anyway. <laughs> The, the error, if there was an error in the ESPN, was that they did not embrace over the top fast enough and soon enough. And the needle they're trying to thread now, which is to maintain their legacy distribution revenues while sort of dipping their toe into the over the top space, seems, seems um, a bit... Um, difficult to, to be successful at. So my advice, with, having not really looked at the issue, so it's sort of, as I said, kind of cheap from the cheap seats, I would be stepping a hell of a lot stronger on the accelerator of moving content onto the over-the-top mm -hmm. scenario. And, so and go direct to consumer with the mothership? With the mothership or with the content that they have, that they currently are keeping behind a wall. You know, it's, it, to me, it might be more of, let's take ESPN3 and migrate a bunch of that product, which mm -hmm. is not necessarily their premier stuff, but their secondary stuff, gotcha. and move that and make a more robust offering of ESPN+. And, and to an extent, they're doing they're that. They're doing I mean, that, yeah, I was going to say. They did it with the UFC. They did it with 30 by 30. You know, but now they've got to start doing it with, you know, those second-tier events that they put on there. And I think that would be probably a, a broad enough appeal to get people to pick it up that aren't currently picking well, it so up. Well, so Steve, what's going to happen with the cable bundle then? What do you mean, what's going to happen? I mean, five years to, ago, everybody to, told you it was dead. Is it going to zero? No. Why, network television gone? Is, 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 is over-the-air radio gone? No, but it's going to be a much, you know, it's going to be really old. It's going to be guys like, you know, me. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to be continue to decay at pretty fast rate. I mean, I don't know what the bottom is. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure you can actually predict the bottom, but it'll level out somewhere, somewhere north of 25% and somewhere less than what I think they're claiming now, 50%. Mm -hmm. And that'll be, you know, the core. And as they, you know, they're living longer, but they're also dying fast. You know, they're also dying off. And eventually it'll, it'll be as relevant as, as terrestrial radio is today. So let me, we have a long running debate here on the podcast. We're in week 10, uh, I say that ESPN, the mothership, will go direct to consumer within the next five years. They'll still be on cable. You'll still be able to get them on cable, but they'll also be direct to consumer with everything. Monday Night Football, the whole thing. What do you say to that? Do you think within five years or more than five years before uh, you can buy? Less than five years. I mean, at the end of the Steve day. Steve Bornstein, on yeah. my side. Got Steve Bornstein, on my side. I'm on your side now. Okay. I'm not going to go against Steve Bornstein. <laughs> I think mean, I told you this weeks ago. But, I, they're, but they're doing it now. Yeah. I mean, they're taking their best stuff and they're simulcasting. Yep. Now, your question is, you know, how long can they sustain whatever rate they're going to sustain from the, from, from the legacy distributors? So to me, that's just math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're going to see where it's going, and, and they're going to make the they're going to price cut or whatever they're going to do to yep. make it work for both parties. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 sort of inevitable. Yep. 
but it's but just, quicker than it's not a long. It's not you're going to hang on. Well, legacy five years wise. is six is sixty months. That's all. You know. I agree. Uh, That's the number that we put. We have. They're losing we have a half a million this. homes. You want a dinner month. with us? Uh, where do you guys? Is it <laughs> going to be we'll here? Uh, John's going to be, be paying. John's going to be paying. So <laughs> well, they have good restaurants here. <laughs> Listen, uh, tell uh, the sportsman's journal. I think he's going to get a nice big expense account to do that. You can be in. We got direct to consumer is where they need to be, and the direct consumer is an is ultimately what what their their answer is. Yeah, but the money from the bundle is so hard to give up, isn't it? Well, they're giving it up as everybody disconnects. So, I mean, you tell me the difference between letting these guys un unplug or reducing their rate. Mm -hmm. Which one's better? Because to me, it's the same thing. You've got fixed costs, and you've got a, a revenue stream that's decaying pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So anything you can do to, decay, to, to, to delay that decay, which to me would be price cuts, mm -hmm. makes sense. So, Steve, you're with Genius Sports right now. They're a data uh, company. Uh, what what do you what was a hole that you saw in the market that you're doing right now? I'm making the content more compelling, mm -hmm. and I am going to increase your engagement. To me, it's all about engagement. I, I learned a little bit about that when I was in the esports space. The engagement there was incredible. The problem in esports um, is that it's hard to aggregate that engagement because it's so it's so fragmented so that if you're a League of Legends player you know you 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 give a care and you give a shit can we say those words on this podcast it's an adult podcast we're fine is it yeah. okay although my kids do subscribe Steve oh well then I'll even get saltier <laughs> if they're my children they taught me a few words but the engagement in those in the in esports is incredibly deep and ten, but it's very fragmented. And here you have the opportunity to apply that same engagement principles of esports to 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 more traditional sports, and you have the ability to aggregate large audiences, which you don't have in in esports. So I get very excited about you know uh, uh, people watching NFL football that are not only engaged in fantasy football, you know, it's one of the reasons why we created the Red Zone channel. It is just a more compelling product to uh, capture a younger demographic that this is how they're watching it and this is what they care about. And we see that across the board in, in the gambling space and in the data collection space. And how you marry those two, to me, is, is going to be the successful media companies of the future. And so that's why I'm here. Well, Steve, we can't thank you enough. Andrew, I come up with a more influential sports media executive that's ever existed. Dick Ebersol. David Hill. David come Hill. on. You're, you're up there in, on, on the Mount Rushmore. Well, uh, I would say, okay, all due respect, you asked me the question. I'll say Rune Arledge is number one, it would be. Would that Rune be correct? Rune Arledge be number one. Would that be correct? I mean, is that, you tell me. He's like the Babe Ruth of it all. Yeah, uh, he, he started everything. He started yeah, everything. Yeah. He started this whole Rune? business. Who are you saying? Are you put me on the spot. Who are you saying? Number one. Number one. I, I put I put Rune there. I think uh, Dick Ebersol certainly. Well, yeah, so you're on the Rushmore. So. Well, you're nice to say that. Rune Arledge is on Rushmore, and then Rune Arledge had, you know, his tree is his is pretty strong, with guys like Don Olmeyer and Dick Ebersol. I put Bo Nimer in there too. Mm -hmm. They're all good. Yeah. He's not so much a Rune Arledge. Disciple, yeah. No. 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 But, no. no. Uh, but Dick and Don were. But. It, Creating ESPN2, creating the Red Zone channel, uh, just bringing so, seeing the value of the NFL rights when you're at the NFL. How about ESPN Magazine, which is just closed? Come on. Uh, I hated that. <laughs> the ESPN phone, that, that was after your time. Uh, I was against that. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm on the record just saying that made no Do you no still sense. own one? No. Uh, I never had one. It made no sense. Uh, but we, when your phone doesn't work, you don't want to be angry at ESPN. You want to be angry at AT&T. Yeah, exactly. Such a better villain. <laughs> and the iPhone launched how soon after ESPN? The, uh, uh, well, the iPhone like launched, a, what, 12 years ago. The ESPN phone, I think they killed pretty quick. Yeah, they, quit, they killed it quick. Yeah, yeah. I had fun with it when they, before they killed it, but they're writing about it. <laughs> Not very positively, but... But well, we thank you very much for joining the pod. Uh, it was a better experience than I had anticipated. How about that? How's that? <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Steve. John Bornstein was excellent. Like we said, he belongs on that Rushmore of sports media executives. When you look over the last four or five decades, uh, he's definitely there. Importantly, though, he said that when you look oh, at here ESPN. We come. Here we go. Yeah, when you look at ESPN, uh, it 
if the mothership will go direct to consumer within five years, that's his prediction, which I've been saying, I've been beating that drum. You say, no, they're going to try to get all that juice out of the uh, bundle. Squeeze it. <laughs> squeeze it. it. They're going to squeeze it, but then they're also going to get, the mothership is going to come within the next five years. Like you said, 60 months, it's a long time. It, it's not going to be built like this, I don't believe. I think, they're like I've told you before, they, they're building all these new contracts so they can do that. I think they're going to see the more cord cutting and, and people never getting cable. And they're going to say, how do we get to those customers? And that's how uh, ESPN, the mothership, Monday Night Football, NBA, everything is going to be available without a cable subscription. Look, I would be a very poor man if I bet against uh, Steve Bornstein for his whole career. I will just say this. Steve Bornstein, smarter than I am, certainly, about, about the business. He now works for Genius Sports a data and tech company, it's in his own self-interest to promote the idea of ESPN going, uh, going a la carte or, or you know, direct to consumer. So that's, that's going to be the only thing I say there. All right. We, we still have dinner. <laughs> still have dinner. We, yeah, Bornstein might join us. All right. Put on SPJ. <laughs> oh, that's, then, yeah, then I can certainly expense it then. Yeah. There you go. All right. We move on. Calls of the week. Call of the week. I'm going to take the first one. December 3rd, ESPN's Beth Moens made history when she started off the Hawks-Pistons game like this. Welcome to NBA Friday, presented by State Farm. Big weekend in Atlanta. And it starts with our NBA action tonight. The Philadelphia 76ers in town to take on the Atlanta Hawks. Look, Andrew, I don't have anything to add. It made history. She was the first woman to do play-by-play for a national NBA game, and I just thought that we should recognize it here on the pod. Congrats, Beth. Yeah, definitely. We, we've seen, um, you know, that we've seen women get local jobs. Lisa Byington in Milwaukee, Kate Scott in Philadelphia. Uh, there's another step um, in terms of women play-by-players becoming more prevalent. And just like we've kind of gotten with Doris Burke, I look forward, I think we all do, where it's not even, it's not even a thing. It's just like, okay, yeah, she's doing the game. Not, you know, where, where it's still, this is still, because it's the first, um, it's still uh, something to be pointed out, but that's the next level is where it's not even a big deal. Um, and it's, and I really think on the analyst side, it has in, we, in, in New York with the Nets in Brooklyn, we have Sarah Kustak, um, and there are a lot of women analysts uh, around the country. Yeah, and you know, the, the key is you just have to be good. Uh, Christy Winter-Scott uh, did a Wizards game for NBC Sports Washington, and she was by far the best analyst that's been on NBC Sports Washington in years. Like, uh, my, my Wizards texts were, were talking, talking just about how good she was. You just have to be good to, uh, to, to do it now, and I think that's, that's a good step to make. 100%. All right, so who's your call? Uh, my call of the week The Detroit Lions win their first game. Dan Miller of the Lions Radio was on the call as the game-winning touchdown happened. First victory of the year on the line. Goff's got it. Back, looks, throws, ends up. Yes! Touchdown, Detroit Lions! They did it! Amon Ross St. Brown in the receiving end! Oh, they're rushing the field! They've done it! Three zeros on the clock! This game is over. It's over. Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown. His first career touchdown. And how big is that? Oh, my goodness. Have a day, boys. Have a day. I love the excitement. Uh, on CBS, Spiro Didis kind of laid out, which I didn't really agree with. It's not the Super Bowl, right? They, they got their first win. Uh, but Miller... <laughs> went crazy there's like i got tinge i'm not saying sarcasm but just relief elation and i think that sort of was the right tone obviously i'm not comparing spiro's call to miller's call because one's national one's local but i do think uh miller captured that moment and i think i gave it a 4.55 clickers you know not perfect but excellent call uh and a fun call and uh and i just thought the whole thing um with detroit and what's happened in that community um, with the high school shootings, such an awful story. How the Lions handled that whole thing um, was very classy, um, and 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 uh, and they came away with the victory. So uh, 
uh, Dan Miller gets the call of the week for me. You know, you, you said it earlier, that's local radio. He understood his audience. He obviously has a relationship to his audience and he delivered exactly what the audience wanted to hear at that moment in time. That was a great call. All right, well, we delivered a long podcast for you, but you got Steve Bornstein, you got a John Oran, like you always do, uh, bringing it. And I can't believe still that Chris Ripley got his first on the way up. Uh, Chris Ripley, who had two, right? Had Look two for some Sinclair exclusives and Sports Business Journal in, in the coming weeks. I don't think so. He had two, how many did he get before? Two or three? How many? Two or three on the way downs? We're about to rename the. Uh, we're about to rename the on the way down the Chris Ripley Award. So I, we had to do something. Believe it or not. All right, that's gonna do it. Listen, we'll be back next week uh, with another pod. We're not taking any weeks off going through Christmas, the new year. You're not going to have any weeks off uh, from this pod. So uh, thank you for listening, following, subscribing, and rating. Uh, We appreciate it. Thanks for listening.